The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And over the last five years, I have marveled at Donald Trump's Teflon. He shattered every norm of constitutional government and presidential behavior. He told 30,000 demonstrated lies in public settings over four years. He installed his children as power players in the White House. He used the White House as a campaign asset and he turned mask wearing during a global pandemic into a partisan symbol of manhood. And then there was L'Affaire Ukraine and the fawning devotion of GOP members of Congress and the governors. Even when the fawning came at the expense of the people that those members of Congress had been elected to represent. And you know what, if not for COVID and his obvious mismanagement of that crisis, I'm pretty sure he would have been reelected. I have some friends who would have welcomed his reelection. I have more friends who were relieved to see him defeated, but none of us thought we'd be rid of Trump yet. On January the 6th, I turned on the TV intending to listen to the debate over the electoral college certification. But instead of a debate, I found myself witnessing an attempt to bring down the U.S. government. By the end of the day, five people were dead, hundreds were injured, the Capitol was desecrated, the vice president of the United States forced to flee for his life, the the stars and stripes torn down from atop the Capitol and replaced with a Trump banner. Wow. This was it. This was the moment I texted a friend. The Trump fever breaks. But you know what? I could not have been more wrong. The extremists were not chastened by hundreds of their number arrested. Trump's loyal GOP voters were not dismayed to see the nation's capital city turned into a fortress. In fact, they reveled in it. The brave few Republicans who saw the former president as culpable for what had happened on January the 6th and voted for impeachment and disqualification received death threats, not just against themselves, but also against their families. Several lawmakers acknowledged that but for those types of direct threats against their families, they would have joined the few, the brave but they were too afraid. Tim Miller, the former Republican pundit, nicknamed them the scared caucus. The reason is really not important, okay? The fact is that the majority of state and federal Republican politicians seem to have decided that incitement rather than reason is the road to follow in their pursuit of power. 
let's be really clear here. We're talking about politicians and politicians pursue power for power's sake, not good public purpose. That's been true for a long time. But lying is now the GOP coin of the realm and it's become more blatant every day. It's a natural outgrowth of the pursuit of power and personal enrichment rather than the pursuit of the public good. I'm sorry to mess up Megan Trainer's wonderful song, but it's all about the base, the base. That 13% of American voters who will decide the next GOP nominees for House, Senate, and President, state legislature, and state governors in 2022 and 2024. And that explains why in the midst of a historic winter storm in Texas this week, Governor Greg Abbott went on the Hannity show on Fox and argued the widespread power outages were the result of, I want you to stop and think about this, they were the result of the Green New Deal. That's a lie. Actually, it's a series of lies. First, there is no Green New Deal. The Texas windmills have been in place for a decade and they contribute less than 10% of Texas's power. Windmills properly maintained generate most electricity all winter, every winter in Greenland, for example, so it's not necessary that windmills freeze. 80% of power in Texas is generated from fossil fuels. And when fossil fuels have some liquid in them, they freeze at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Nobody east of metropolitan El Paso to the Louisiana state line could see or hear Governor Abbott because none of them had power because Texas, independent Texas, is the only state that doesn't belong to the national grid and has no uh, way of getting power from any other state. El Paso is an exception. El Paso is part of the national grid through New Mexico. Those are the facts, folks. Similarly, Dan Crenshaw took Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to task. You know that AOC represents the Bronx, not Texas, don't you? Also, there is no Green New Deal. But there are functioning windmills that maintain all the electric power at the American station on the South Pole. Former Naval officer and heroic Navy SEAL, Dan Crenshaw, also a graduate of the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, knows what he said, tweeted, videoed, and repeated on television was not true. Dan, you were lying. The lesson Crenshaw and Abbott have learned from Donald Trump from others in Washington, is that the base, the Republican base will believe anything you say as long as you deflect. You don't take ownership for the problem. 
you blame, you point to someone else, anybody else. I mean, as an example, Ted Cruz got busted trying to flee freezing Texas for 84 degree Cancun with his family, Cancun, yes, with his family. The 21st century equivalent of Marie Antoinette's let them eat cake comment during a bread riot seems to be, if there's no heat in Houston, let's go on vacation. But unlike the 18th century French queen, Cruz lied to cover for himself when he got caught. He threw his own children under the bus in doing so. All of this lying, deflecting, shaming, it's disgusting, isn't it? Wrong. Wrong. A quick perusal of Twitter found the governor and the congressman had lots of support. Yes, indeedy. AOC and the Green New Deal are responsible for 4 million Texas Texans being out of power. Ted Cruz's support on Twitter? You know, we are talking about the most hated man in the United States Senate, after all. But that didn't deter Ted. There he was on Hannity last night, pointing a finger of righteous indignation at the officials who had failed in their duty to the people of Texas. Don't make me say what I really think. Vince would have to bleep it. We can't fail to remember the real whopper, and there is no pun intended there. Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley arguing on the Senate floor that certification of the Electoral College victory for Joe Biden would, quote, disenfranchise. Yes, quote, disenfranchise. Their word, not mine. 74 million voters. Do they mean similarly to the 68 million who voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016? Three million more than voted for Trump? The fact, the stubborn fact is that 81 million votes is more than 74 million votes. 306 electoral votes is more than 232 electoral votes. And the person with the most votes in the electoral college wins. That's what it says in the Constitution. Disenfranchising a voter means taking away the right to vote, not guaranteeing the person an individual voter votes for is going to win. Meanwhile, disenfranchising a voter means taking away the right to vote, not guaranteeing the person Disenfranchising a voter means not taking away the right to vote, not guaranteeing the candidate an individual voter votes for is going to win. But meanwhile, what the Republican-controlled state legislatures are attempting to do in preparation for 2022, writing about 165 new bills that are aimed at making it harder for individual citizens to vote, That is disenfranchisement. Just one more example from someone who should know better before we move on. 
I received an early campaign fundraising email from Josh Mandel, who has thrown his hat into the ring for the 2022 Republican nomination for U.S. Senate from Ohio to fill the seat that uh, Rob Portman will retire from. Mandel opened his campaign by answering a reporter's question that yes, he, Mandel, believed the 2020 election was, quote, likely, unquote, stolen. I like that use of the word likely, kind of gives him some wiggle room. Mandel, formerly the treasurer of Ohio and a Marine veteran of Iraq, knows better but he believes he has to cultivate. No, 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 not cultivate. That's the wrong word. He has to mollify the base. My quick personal perusal of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all lowercase, all one word, demonstrates the continuing wisdom of Mark Twain. A lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. And Mark Twain could not have dreamt of the velocity of a lie broken into bits and bites, racing through a wealth of media echo chambers, further refined by artificial intelligence until truth and reason no longer buffer as the audience becomes further and further curated. Our Constitution the foundation of our government and of our social order relies on an assumption that facts, facts are facts, a starting point for debate, but not themselves debatable. And that once the debate is concluded, a bill written and voted into law, the law must be followed. It appears that the post-Donald Trump GOP no longer believes in truth, in facts, or in written laws. Not only does this attitude cheapen and coarsen our civil, literally our civil society, but it places a mob at the center of our national debate. Not just about the 2020 election, but every other contentious issue that confronts our federal, state, and local lawmakers. The founding fathers, clearly aware of the emerging riots in France in the years that led to the French Revolution, feared nothing so much as they feared the mob. These gentlemen were not egalitarian. All in their own way, believed in the right of, and I'm gonna quote Alexander Hamilton, the rich and well-born to rule, which is a little ironic if you know anything about Alexander Hamilton, who was self-made the an Ill illegitimate child from the back stairs of a Jamaica plantation. Even the first Democrat, Thomas Jefferson, tied the right to vote or to hold office to ownership of land or capital. All of them would look with genuine alarm at the Capitol mob of January 6th, fearing as I do, the mob's power to do great harm before it is exhausted. As long as the lies continue, unchallenged in the echo chambers of 21st century media, 
the threats of violence will haunt every vote members from either party cast on crucial issues like infrastructure, economic renewal, tax policy, immigration, and how climate change impacts all of those issues. Fear will replace debate and deflection will replace judgment. Until our politicians are safe, physically safe, to debate the best interests of all of their constituents, present and future, our government cannot function effectively if it can function at all. And that threatens our national security, both within and outside our borders. You'll agree that this is an intolerable situation. We've got to act to thwart the threats that result from demagogic speech in all their forms and from all quarters of our nation. But how do we begin to regain the people's trust, not just the echo chamber's trust, the people's trust? How do we begin? Well, one way to begin is with a congressionally chartered commission to study the events of January 6th, a bipartisan commission, similar to the 9-11 commission that turned myriad conspiracy theories into a single irrefutable truth. We've got to look at the events and actions that preceded the 6th of January, a full understanding of the big lie, the big steal, a forensic investigation of the events and actions that preceded January the 6th. We need to know who planned it and who were the activists behind it, the underlying motivations of the people who participated in every way on that day. So how big is the remaining risk for further violence? Do we really need to have fenced off the seat of our government, the capital of our nation, the capital building of our nation from its citizens. And the commission must come up with a set of go forward recommendations for both lawmaking and social norming. While the time to do the work is short in this combustible situation, the conclusions that the commission reaches can leave no room for interpretation. There can be not a single iota of ambiguity. As the old saying goes, I need the facts, ma'am, just the facts. The commission must be step one in reestablishing our common understanding of what the truth is. The truth is facts. The truth is not opinion or conjecture, not lies of omission, commission, or statistics as Benjamin Disraeli would have enumerated them. We must relearn that commonly agreed to facts matter. Their acceptance is basic to our social and political contract. The noted expert on 20th century authoritarianism, historian Timothy Snyder, made a compelling argument for such a commission recently, explaining that history tells us that without truth, there can be no conversation about reconciliation. Without reconciliation, 
the assumption that we are a nation of laws becomes increasingly suspect and difficult to maintain. And we slip further down the road toward first anarchy and then authoritarianism. That's a road 90% of us tell pollsters we reject. I can't forget the shock, the atmosphere in Washington, D.C. On a, on a June day in 2017, when Steve Scalise, the GOP House Whip, was shot and nearly killed at a baseball practice by a deranged Hillary Clinton supporter. In the wake of January 6th, I can't shake the fear that such an event or worse could happen again. Preventing further violence, restoring faith in our governing system depends on both parties holding themselves to higher standards. Agreeing to the importance of truth over lies. Ownership over deflection. Responsibility over blaming and shaming. Truth and transparency. Consistency over obfuscation. And until the norms of honest discourse and debate are restored in our Capitol building and in our media and throughout the land, no one is safe. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.